Welcome to the Relevant Truth Podcast. My name is Roger Mason. This podcast is dedicated to examining biblical truth. The Bible is overflowing with relevant truth useful in our everyday lives. Thus the title, Relevant Truth. The Bible was relevant to those that first heard it through the apostles and prophets. It is also timeless truth, which means it is relevant for us today in the 21st century. It is my hope that through this podcast, you will be both encouraged and challenged as we look at the Bible together. In today's podcast, we want to examine what the Bible has to say about weariness. Weariness is something we all experience, and it's not just physical weariness that we struggle with. Sometimes we find ourselves running on empty, and we need a jolt to get going. Isaiah 40 talks about the cause and cure for weariness. The big idea here is that waiting cures weariness. So let's look at Isaiah 40, verses 27 to 31. Why do you say, O Jacob, and speak, O Israel, my way is hidden from the Lord, and my just claim is passed over by my God? Have you not known, have you not heard, the everlasting God, the Lord, the creator of the ends of the earth, neither faints nor is weary? His understanding is unsearchable. He gives power to the weak, and to those who have no might he increases strength. Even the youth shall faint and be weary, and the young men shall utterly fall. But those who wait on the Lord shall renew their strength. They shall mount up with wings like eagles. They shall run and not be weary. They shall walk and not faint. And so let's look at the context of Isaiah chapter 40 verses 27 to 31. The book of Isaiah is divided into two major sections. Chapter 1 to 39 talks about God's judgment of sin. And chapters 40 to 66 talk about God's salvation and comfort. Isaiah was a pre-exilic prophet, which means he prophesied to the southern kingdom of Judah before it was conquered and taken into captivity by Babylon. Isaiah's readers were under the threat of Assyrian invasion. Assyria had already conquered and exiled the northern kingdom of Israel. Isaiah 36 and 37 tells us that the Assyrian army invaded Judah, but God spared Judah from destruction. Isaiah warned Judah that the Babylonians would eventually invade and conquer Judah and that they would be exiled to Babylon. Isaiah actually foretold that a king by the name of Cyrus would allow the Jews to return to Israel and rebuild the temple and to rebuild the city of Jerusalem. God had Isaiah prophesied to Judah years before the events actually happened. Isaiah's predictions were made some 200 years earlier. Isaiah 44 and verse 28. Who says of Cyrus, he is my shepherd, and he shall perform all my pleasures, saying to Jerusalem, you shall be built, and to the temple your foundation will be laid. And then Isaiah 45, verse 1, Thus saith the Lord to his anointed, to Cyrus, whose right hand I have held, to subdue nations before him, and loosen the armor of kings, to open before him the double doors, so that the gates will not be shut. 
both of these scriptures speak of Cyrus allowing Israel to rebuild the temple and the city of Jerusalem. The second section of Isaiah begins with chapter 40 and talks about God's forgiveness, deliverance, and the restoration of Israel. One of the reasons God had Isaiah write his prophecy was to encourage his people during the Babylonian captivity. God had Isaiah write his prophecy first to prepare Israel for what was about to happen to them during those turbulent years leading up to their captivity. Secondly, to encourage them during their captivity in Babylon. Thirdly, to prepare Israel for their return from Babylonian captivity. When Isaiah wrote these prophecies, Judah still had over a hundred years of difficulty ahead of her before she was taken into Babylonian captivity. Judah remained in Babylon for 70 years before she was able to return to the Promised Land. In anticipating the future captivity and God's restoration, Isaiah wrote to encourage Judah to live righteously in the present despite these forthcoming difficulties. Isaiah wrote his prophecy anticipating the Jewish captivity and their return from Babylonian captivity. After their return from Babylon, they were no longer called Israelites or Hebrews, but they were called Jews. God anticipated that the Jews would be weary and discouraged from the Babylonian captivity. This was the reason why God prompted Isaiah to write his prophecy in order to encourage the returning Jewish people. Our text provides for us some solutions to the problem of weariness. So let's look at God's answer to weariness. The first thing we come across as we read our text is the cause of weariness. And the cause of weariness was what they believed. Isaiah 40 verse 27. Why do you say, O Jacob, and speak, O Israel, my way is hidden from the Lord, my just claim is passed over by my God? The New Living Translation reads it this way, The Lord does not see your troubles. God refuses to hear your case. And the New Century Version says it this way, The Lord does not see what happens to me. He does not care if I'm treated fairly. When Isaiah wrote this prophecy, Judah was under the threat of Assyrian invasion. Years later, Isaiah's readers during the Babylonian captivity were under the domination of a godless empire in a strange land. And when they read this, it's obvious that they were discouraged, they were despairing, and that they were weary. They came to the conclusion that God didn't see their troubles, that God refused to hear their case, that the Lord did not see what was happening to them and that the Lord did not care that they were treated fairly. It's no doubt that these thoughts were in their mind and that they were discouraged. God had forgotten all about them. Ever felt that way? That God has forgotten about you? Look at the mess that I'm in and where is God? Does he even see what's happening to me? Does he even really care what is happening to me? I'm sure that this is the way that Judah felt in Babylonian captivity. They felt like God had forgotten them and that God didn't care how they were treated, whether they were treated fairly or not. This is how Judah felt in Babylonian captivity. God questioned what they believed. God said to them, Why do you say, O Jacob, and why do you speak, O Israel? 
we not only think it, but we also speak it. Look at what they believed. They believed that God had completely turned away from them because he was weary of their sin. They believed that God had lost patience with them. My way is hidden from the Lord, is what they were saying. Their difficulty in captivity, God appeared to take no notice of. He was ignoring the things that were happening to them, the unjust things that were happening to them. Do you feel like you are going through a world of hurt and God is ignoring you? God doesn't see or care or notice you and the difficulties that you face? They don't really question God's omniscience, his ability to know all things, but they question his goodwill towards them. They believe that God was angry with them because they had sinned against God. Do you feel that God is reluctant to forgive you and has a prolonged anger towards you because of what you've done? And my just claim is passed over by my God. What just claim are they talking about here? They believe that they had a just claim because God had promised to bless them and to make them a blessing to the nations. This is the Abrahamic covenant. God promised to Abraham and his descendants taken from Genesis 12, verse 3, Genesis 28, verses 13 to 15. Look at Genesis 12 and verse 3. I will bless those that bless you. I will curse him who curses you. And in you all the families of the earth shall be blessed. So this is part of the Abrahamic covenant. And then let's look at Genesis chapter 28, verses 13 to 15. And the Lord said, I am the Lord God of Abraham, your father, and the God of Isaac, and the land in which you lie I will give to you and your descendants. Also your descendants shall be as the dust of the earth, and you shall spread abroad to the west and to the east, to the north and to the south, and in you and in your seed all the families of the earth shall be blessed. Behold, I am with you and will keep you wherever you go, and I will bring you back to this land, for I will not leave you until I have done what I have spoken to you. Isaiah 28, verses 13 to 15. They believed that God had forgotten his promises. These promises made to Abraham and made to Abraham's descendants. In summarizing what they believed about God, they believed that God was angry with them. They believed that he was holding a grudge against them because of their sin. They believed he was ignoring them in their captivity and that he refused to keep his promises to them. This is what they believed. This is also what causes a Christian to become weary. One of the key things which will cause a Christian to become weary is ungodly beliefs. An ungodly belief is a belief that is a lie, but it is believed as if it were the truth. Example, God does not hear me anymore. He has forgotten about me. This is a lie. It is not true. It is an ungodly belief. But if it is believed as if it is the truth, then it has a detrimental effect on us. They act as weights around us that slow us down and make us weary. The Bible says, let us not grow weary while doing good, for in due season we shall reap if we do not lose heart. That's Galatians 6 verse 9. The word weary means to retreat in battle, to give up the fight, to lose heart is to relax, to let down, to become exhausted, and to faint. 
This is what happened with Judah in Babylonian captivity. They got weary. They began to lose heart. God challenged their ungodly beliefs. Have you not known, have you not heard, the everlasting God, the Lord, the creator of the ends of the earth, neither faints nor is weary. His understanding is unsearchable. Isaiah 40 and verse 28. The groundlessness of their despondency is set before them in a double question. Have you not known? Have you not heard? The Lord repeats this rhetorical question for emphasis. The everlasting God, the Lord, the creator of the ends of the earth, neither faints nor is weary. His understanding is unsearchable. The everlasting God, the Lord, the creator. Look at what this scripture says about God. He is everlasting. He lives outside of time. He is the everlasting God. He is the creator He is bigger than this world. He is bigger than this universe. He stands apart from it because he is the creator of it. He is omnipotent, all-powerful. He doesn't diminish in strength. He doesn't faint. He doesn't get weary. He doesn't diminish in power in any way at all. And lastly, he is omniscient, all-knowing. There is nothing God does not know. His understanding is unsearchable. There are no limits to God. This is who God is. This is who our God is. We have a hard time understanding who God is because we do not have any of these attributes that God has. We live inside time. We grow old. We see others growing old around us. We live confined to the earth, to a certain address on earth, a certain town, a certain city, a certain country. We understand and experience weakness and weariness. And lastly, we grow in knowledge, and there is many things that we do not know. We have many limitations. We are limited in many ways, but God is not. God does not grow faint as men do. Men get weak. Men get tired, but God doesn't. A man gets exhausted because of overexertion, but God doesn't know weakness at all. We are often discouraged and afraid because our concept of God is incorrect, or our concept of God is too small. The cause of our weariness is often what we believe about God, an ungodly belief we've called it. Judah, in Babylonian captivity, was discouraged. They were despairing and they were weary because of what they believed about God. And what they believed about God was incorrect. They were holding to ungodly beliefs, things that were not true. They were lies. Let's look at the cure for weariness, appropriating what God offers. That takes us to Isaiah 40, verses 29 to 30. He gives power to the weak, and to those that have no might, he increases strength. Even the youth shall faint and be weary. The young men shall utterly fall. We have a promise here in verse 29. He gives power to the weak, and to those that have no might, he increases strength. That's Isaiah 40, verse 29. This is a resource that God offers us. It is made available to us. God offers you power for your weakness. You have areas in your life where you are weak. The resources of God are made available to you. 
The Bible says he gives power and he increases strength. But in response to this giving, we must receive. This is called appropriation. We must appropriate what God gives. If we fail to tap into those resources God has made available to us, we are not appropriating God's resources. We must draw on God's strength when we are weak. It is not enough for you to know about it. You must actively draw on it for yourself. Isaiah encourages the reader to remember, God is always watching his people. He never relaxes, faints, or gets weary. He has not forgotten his people, and he gives power to the weak. What is the cure for weariness? Appropriating what God offers. So we've learned that the cause of weariness is our faulty beliefs, ungodly beliefs. We have learned that the cure for weariness is appropriating what God offers. Even the youth shall faint and be weary, and the young men shall utterly fall. That's Isaiah 40, verse 30. The Word of God declares that fainting, weariness, falling are all a fact of life. This is a true picture of life. We faint, we grow weary, we fall. It happens. It is normal for these things to happen to us because we are humans. The greatest human strength is insufficient to meet the challenges of life, but God gives power and he increases strength. He will not allow your foot to be moved. He who keeps you will not slumber. Behold, he who keeps Israel shall neither slumber nor sleep. That's Psalms 121 verses 3 and 4. God is aware of our need for protection, and he will protect his people. He is on the job protecting us, and he makes this his top priority. To slumber or to sleep carries the idea of indifference or disregard. We are assured that God will not be indifferent towards us or disregard us. There is many who do not believe this. He gives top priority to his oversight. He will not let you be defeated. He who guards you never sleeps. He who guards Israel never rests or sleeps. That's Psalm 121, verses 3 and 4 in the New Century Version. God always offers us something to help us get free of discouragement, despair, and weariness. Let's look at some examples of this. With Moses, it was a staff in Exodus chapter 4. We look at how God used the staff of Moses to bring deliverance to Israel because the staff of Moses became the staff of God. And it was just a, a simple shepherd's staff that God chose to use. Let's look at the examples of this in the scriptures. God called Moses to bring Israel out of Egyptian bondage. Moses objected, and God asked Moses, What is that in your hand? And he said, A rod. It was a shepherd's staff. This is Exodus 4 and verse 3. God told Moses, Cast it on the ground. So he cast it on the ground, and it became a serpent. That's Exodus 4, 3. He further instructed Moses, And you shall take this rod in your hand, with which you shall do these signs. That's Exodus 4, verse 17. The miracles performed by Moses were done by his staff. When Moses returned to Egypt, he took with him the staff of God. Then Moses took his wife and his sons and set them on a donkey, and he returned to the land of Egypt, 
and Moses took the rod of God in his hand. That's Exodus 4 and verse 20. So when Moses returned to Egypt, he brought his shepherd's staff with him. But it was no longer a simple shepherd's staff. It was now the staff of God or the rod of God, as the New King James Version says. This rod of Moses became the rod of God. Let's look at the things that Moses did with this rod of God. He cast a staff on the ground and it became a serpent. Exodus 4 verse 3. He struck the Nile River and it became blood. Exodus 7:20. So he lifted up his rod and struck the waters that were in the river and in the sight of Pharaoh and in the sight of his servants and all the waters that were in the river were turned to blood. Moses struck the rock and water came out supplying water for all of Israel in the desert. Then Moses lifted his hand and struck the rock twice with his rod and water came out abundantly and the congregation and their animals drank. That's Numbers 20 and verse 11. The Israelites gained victory over the Amalekites with the rod of God. And Moses said to Joshua, Choose us some men and go out. Fight with Amalek tomorrow, and I will stand on the top of the hill with the rod of God in my hand. That's Exodus 17 and verse 9. Then Moses lifted his staff, and the Red Sea was divided. But lift up your rod, and stretch out your hand over the sea, and divide it. And the children of Israel shall go on dry ground through the midst of the sea. Exodus 14 and verse 16. God used the shepherd's staff of Moses to bring deliverance to Israel. God used what was available to Moses to bring mighty deliverance to Israel. With the widow in 2 Kings 4, it was a little jar of oil. Look at what God did with a little jar of oil. All her debts were paid, and she had money left over to live on. With Elijah in 1 Kings 19, it was not the wind, an earthquake, or a fire, but it was the still small voice that pulled Elijah out of despair. And with Judah in the Babylonian captivity, it was his promise. He gives power to the weak, and to those that have no might, he increases strength. We must appropriate what God gives. I'm repeating myself here, but let me go over it again. Moses had to take his staff and use it as the staff of God to bring deliverance to the Israelites. The widow had to take a small jar of oil and pour it out into empty vessels in order to pay her debt. Elijah had to listen and respond to the still small voice, doing what God instructed him to do, pulling him out of despair. And Judah had to believe the promises of God and receive the strength that God offered them to move forward into God's will. Believing the truth is the first step towards the cure of weariness. The second step is appropriating what God offers. Now let's look at a second promise given to us in Isaiah 40 and verse 31, and this will bring us the third step, conquering weariness through waiting. Isaiah 40 and verse 31. But those who wait on the Lord shall renew their strength. They shall mount up with wings like eagles. They shall run and not be weary. How do we appropriate what God offers us? By waiting. We wait on the Lord. Verse 31. This is the third step. 
The Hebrew word is kava. It means to wait, to look for, to expect, and to hope. This verb is found over 50 times in the Old Testament. This is God's method of transferring his power to us. Waiting. What does it mean to wait? Does it mean to pray? Is that what waiting is? Does it mean to praise or to worship? Is that what waiting is? Does it mean to read your Bible and look for answers? Is that what waiting is? Or does it mean to listen to sermons? All of these things are good. And all of these things we should do. But waiting doesn't refer to doing these things. So let's look at what the scriptures say about waiting. We have our original scripture in Isaiah 40 and verse 31, the word kava. Let's look at a, a number of other scriptures that use this word wait or kava. Psalm 27 verse 14, wait on the Lord, be of good courage, and he shall strengthen your heart. Wait, I say, on the Lord. These are the concluding words of David in this Psalm 27. The Hebrew word kavah is used twice in verse 14. The Hebrew word for wait may be also translated in this context as hope. To hope is to believe in the certainty of God's action. Without a doubt, God will act, but we must wait for his timing. We must wait for him to act. David is convinced that the Lord God will strengthen his heart in the day of trouble if he will wait on the Lord. If you run ahead of God, if you lag behind God, you will become a perfect target for the enemy. Waiting means we have confident, expectant faith in God, trusting in his timing, but also trusting that he will act. Let's look at a second scripture with this word kava in it. It's found in Psalm 40 in verse 1. I waited patiently for the Lord, and he inclined to me and heard my cry. The Hebrew phrase translated, I waited patiently, is literally translated, waiting I waited. The Hebrew word kava is used twice in this verse. The verb to wait expresses a confident trust or faith in the Lord. Look at the next verse. He also brought me out of a horrible pit, out of the miry clay. He set my feet on a rock and established my steps. That's Psalm 40, verse 2. While experiencing trials at the hand of his enemies, David asked God for help. But the answer did not come immediately. Often God's answer does not come immediately, and we have to wait for God to respond. We have to wait for God to act. We often become impatient with God when we are in the midst of our trials. David waited patiently for the Lord to hear his prayer and to deliver him out of his difficulties. He waited, and then God worked. Even Jesus did not always receive instant answers to his prayers. Jesus realized the Father's delays are not necessarily the Father's denials. And that's important to realize, that when God delays answer to prayer, does not mean that he's refusing to answer us and denying us. God answers prayer in the time that best suits him, 
to accomplish His purposes in our lives. Waiting means we exercise a confident trust in the Lord, even when walking in difficult circumstances. Let's look at a third example of this word kava, found in Proverbs 20 and verse 22. Do not say, I will recompense evil. Wait for the Lord, and he will save you. So often we are tempted to retaliate when others hurt or offend us unjustly. We are not qualified to recompense evil, the Bible tells us. The Bible tells us, God says, revenge is mine. I will repay. That's Romans 12 and verse 19. But the idea is taken from Deuteronomy 32 verse 35. We must learn to commit our offenses to God, trusting him to respond appropriately to what others have said or done in hurting us. Wait for the Lord and he will save you. The Hebrew word kavah is used here. Wait for the Lord. God will save those who practice trusting in him. Waiting means we cast ourselves and our difficulties upon God, trusting that he will act on our behalf. Let's look at a fourth example found in Psalm 37, verse 7. Rest in the Lord and wait patiently for him. Do not fret because of him who prospers in his way, because of the man who brings wicked schemes to pass. So the Bible tells us in this psalm, rest and wait patiently. These commands re-emphasize the major point of the psalm, do not fret. Rest in the Lord and wait patiently for him. Literally, this means to be silent and not to murmur. Do not complain when the wicked prosper around you. The temptation is to complain, to complain to God. They're getting away with murder. Look at the injustice. And God, you don't seem to be doing anything to stop it. During those times, we are to rest in the Lord and wait patiently for him. Restlessness is an evidence of unbelief. And the Bible tells us to rest in the Lord. Faith places your difficulties before the Lord and rests, knowing he will take care of them. We wait patiently for him to act. Having committed your way to the Lord, the next step is to rest in him. Since he is carrying your burden, it's not necessary for you to bear it also. Too often, that is exactly what we do. We cast our cares hesitantly upon the Lord, and then we promptly take them back and carry them ourselves. Waiting means that we rest, we wait, we don't act, we don't even speak without his permission, we certainly don't complain. Let's look at another example found in Psalm 61 verse 1 and also verse 5. It says there, Truly my soul silently waits for God. From him comes my salvation. And then in verse 5, my soul waits silently for God alone, for my expectation is from him. The Hebrew word used here means to be silent or to be still. So the emphasis is not so much on the waiting as it is on being silent and being still. Wait silently. This means not telling your trials repeatedly to everyone who will listen. As a child of God who has taken our needs to the Father, we have no need to keep telling him our troubles. He knows what our troubles are. 
Much talk is often evidence of little faith, panic, and fear. What do we do? We silently wait for God. This is a posture of expectant faith. What are we waiting for? We are waiting for him to act. Waiting means we don't panic, we don't lose heart, we don't cave into the circumstances, we don't fret, but we wait silently, trusting God to act on our behalf. Waiting upon God means we have a confident, expectant faith in God, trusting in his timing and trusting that he will act. Waiting upon God means we exercise a confident trust in God even when walking in difficult circumstances. Waiting upon God means we cast ourselves and our difficulties upon God, trusting that he will act on our behalf. Waiting upon God means we rest, we wait, we don't act, we don't even speak without his permission, and we certainly don't complain. Waiting upon God means we don't panic, we don't lose heart, we don't cave into the circumstances, we don't fret, but we wait silently, trusting God. Waiting upon God means we are looking for God to act, and we are certain that he will act. Waiting upon God means we are ready to hear his voice and to do what he says. Absolute trust and confidence in God and not in yourself. The most difficult time of service can be in that monotonous, everyday grind of life when God's people feel like they're spinning their wheels and going nowhere. We as God's children are to exchange our weakness for God's strength in our daily walk of life. But those who wait on the Lord shall renew their strength. They shall mount up with wings like eagles. They shall run and not be weary. They shall walk and not faint. Isaiah 40 and verse 31. There are four promises given to those who wait on the Lord. Each promise is prefaced with the word shall. So let's read it again, emphasizing this word shall. But those who wait on the Lord shall renew their strength. They shall mount up with wings like eagles. They shall run and not be weary. They shall walk and not faint. Each of these promises can be exchanged for our weariness. Let's look at all four of them shall renew your strength. The word renew means to exchange or to change. We exchange our weariness for God's strength. We shall have God's strength in place of our weakness. We exchange one for the other. Shall mount up with wings like eagles. To mount up with wings is to rise above the earth. The eagle lifts his wings to catch the wind currents that carry him above the earth. The eagle goes so high he loses sight of the earth. He can soar above the storm clouds. The soaring eagle is not earthbound. We can soar like an eagle above the earth. We shall no longer be earthbound. They shall run and not be weary. It's not natural to run and not feel weary. When we are running, we will naturally start to grow weary. 
When we are linked to a supernatural God, we can do supernatural things. God enables us to run and not get tired. We shall do things a person couldn't normally do. They shall walk and not faint. We shall live victoriously in the daily routines of life. Our daily walk is the hardest area to keep in victory. We need a constant supply of power to walk each day before God. We shall have an unending supply of power to walk in righteousness. God's cure for weariness. The first step is to believe God. Remember how Judah thought God had forgotten them? They thought that God had abandoned them, that he was holding a grudge against them and ignoring them. Their belief was incorrect. It was an ungodly belief, and God challenged their belief system. The second step, receiving what God offers. God made an offer to Judah. They needed to appropriate and actively draw on what God offered them. And then the third step, waiting on the Lord. Waiting involves utter dependence, a readiness to hear, and an expectant faith. Remember the fourfold promise of waiting. The New Testament equivalent to that promise in Isaiah 40 is found in Jesus' invitation in Matthew 11, verses 28 to 30. Come to me, all you that labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me. For I am gentle and lowly in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy, and my burden is light. This is an invitation that Jesus offers us. Father, I thank you for your promises, that those who wait on the Lord shall renew their strength. They shall mount up with wings like eagles. They shall run and not be weary. They shall walk and not faint. I ask you, Lord, to search our hearts and our minds and root out all of those ungodly beliefs that interfere with our growth in Christ. Help us to walk in the strength that you offer. Teach us how to wait on the Lord. In Jesus' name, amen. Never miss an episode of the Relevant Truth Podcast by subscribing on iTunes. If you like the podcast, why not submit an iTunes review? Thanks for listening. We'll be back in two weeks. Mm-hmm.